This is Anthony Anarino, and you're listening to In the Arena. You know what I like most about text message is that no matter what, you know that the person that you sent the text message to received the text message. Even if they're not getting back to you, you do know that they read it and you know that they're aware that you're pursuing them or that you have something you need to share with them. That's not always true for email. And in fact, I find that when I send an email, I have this great fear that it's now at the very bottom of the inbox because there's been 2,200 emails that have come in after my email was sent. So I want to give a huge shout out to today's sponsor, MailTag.io. MailTag.io is a Chrome browser extension for your Gmail that allows you to track and schedule your emails. It's super helpful, and I highly recommend it if you're in sales, specifically because you receive real-time alerts on your desktop as soon as your prospect opens your emails or clicks on a link within your email. And that problem I described here at the beginning, you don't know whether or not they saw the email because there's so much incoming for most of us that we can't keep up with the email. In this case, you can set up a follow-up sequence so that another email goes out if there's not a response, and it will literally push your email back to the top of that inbox. So important right now when so many of us live in our inbox and where it's so difficult to get attention. So go check out mailtag.io. You'll find the link in the show notes and take advantage of the 14-day trial. Amy Franco is local resident here in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm not sure how we first met. We communicated over email at some time, and I've been watching her career take off over the last couple years. Amy is a coach, a consultant, and someone who has what I would call the pedigree to be in that role. She's done the work. She's worked for IBM and Lenovo. She sold in complex B2B sales. She sold in markets where what you sell is commoditized, and now she helps salespeople and sales organizations produce better results. But we're here today to talk about her new book, her first book, The Modern Seller, Sell More and Increase Your Impact in the New Sales Economy. This is my friend Amy Franco in the arena. Good morning, Amy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. First off, I didn't expect to get your book in a display case box that looked like it was a gift, like it was Tiffany's or something. I was like, I expected most of us when we send a book, it comes in a wrapper. Right. (laughs) And I've got my bookmark and a personal card, like a real sales professional. How about that? You know where I got that idea from? The National Speakers Association Conference. Sally Hogshead did a session and she did the same thing. I'm like, that is such a cool idea. So we decided to replicate it ourselves. Sally's a beast. Yeah, she does a great job. Well, let's talk about the book. And I want to give people sort of an understanding of what they're getting when they pick up the book. And I want to start by just asking you, what do you think has changed in the business environment and the economy that caused you to say there's now a modern seller? 
And differentiate that from, I don't know what you want to call them, an antiquated or a legacy seller or something like that. You know, yeah, I had this conversation with quite a few people and thinking about when I thought about the title of the book, the modern seller just popped into my head like that. Now, of course, the rest of the book was a 20-month project, but that phrase just popped into my head because as I was looking around me, you know, interacting with my clients, other consultants, other sales professionals, I just had this idea that a lot of the things that I see happening, the way that prospects and clients want to be interacting with us, engaging with us, how they want to buy from us, so many things have changed what they expect from us. And so that was the catalyst for thinking about how do we kind of upgrade our own internal operating systems. So the idea behind The Modern Seller was not to write another book on prospecting or presenting or closing, all really important things. And you have a book on closing, which I absolutely love. But I wanted to kind of get behind the scenes a little bit and dig into some of the bigger, what I see as skills behind the skills that we need to be doing to upgrade our operating systems as sellers. Because if we don't upgrade our operating systems as sellers and take on some of these skills that I write about in the book, I think we're going to get left behind. The sellers that do that are going to be winning more business. They're going to be winning better clients because they're going to be meeting the expectations or exceeding the expectations that our prospects and clients have of us now. It's interesting to me. I would say that they already are. I think the people who get this and your book was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. I wrote the first book, The Only Sales Guide, and I talked about mindset, skill set, toolkit. And a lot of your book is still mindset. And it is a shift in your thinking. And I want to start right at the beginning of the shift in your thinking because I think it's really important. You're calling it entrepreneurial. Okay, so entrepreneurial means different things to different people. So right now, for the millennial age and a little bit past that age, entrepreneurship means I got a side hustle. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do my own thing. And for some reason, it is being enormously glamorized because of people like Gary Vaynerchuk and social media. And I wrote something a few weeks ago about, I mean, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, be a plumber. Don't worry about social media. A plumber with three trucks you know, has a million and a half dollar business. And it's not glamorous. And they do billing and they get customers and they do plumbing. And, you know, if they make it look like, well, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to be flying on a private jet and you're going to all the coolest parties. And it's like, no, that's (laughs) not what happens when you're an entrepreneur. In most cases, that's a tiny segment. But you recognized at some point that what you were doing as a salesperson wasn't working for you. Mm -hmm. And the shift that you made was, wait a second, I have to be entrepreneurial, which means something else. So tell me what it meant for you, what the change in the shift was. So I think the story that you're referring to was when I was at IBM, I sold the ultimate commodity. I sold PCs, laptops, tablets before they were the cool tablets that we have today. And what I realized was so many of my conversations were just about price. Can you get me the best price? Can you drop your price by 25%? Even in the biggest opportunities that were multi-million dollar opportunities where you're sending an RFP that's 200 pages long, the prospector, the client is just looking at the pricing page. And I had had a couple losses that really kind of set me back. And they were all price-based losses. And I'm like, you know, if I'm going to be successful at this, I've got to start thinking about this differently. And I wish, like looking back, I wish I could have said I was really strategic about it. 
it was kind of just working one foot in front of the other one step at a time. But what I realized was I had to start thinking about my territory differently. And I had to start looking for the prospects and clients that were going to really be the best fit for me. And when I think about entrepreneurial, the top line and the bottom line, so it was not going to be a price conversation. It was going to be a business conversation. And that's where I had to start looking at my client set. And in that case, the aha moment was, we have some of the best mobile products in the world. We have some of the best subject matter experts in the world in education, which was my territory at the time. How about I try to put those two things together and start to look at this a little bit differently? And that was the shift from the product price transactional type of conversation, which I think also goes back to your first question, to saying, you know what? I need to look at this like a business and I need to become known for something and I need to pull my resources differently. So that was the turning point for me where I started to think about my business more entrepreneurially. I'm going to say a couple of things about that. One, before they started the podcast, you and I were talking, and it is sort of the primary thing that makes human beings successful is resourcefulness. So you give us a challenge, you're like, you can't put a, a man on the moon. Okay, yes, we can. No matter how difficult the problem, we seem to find a way. And sometimes just out of frustration or desperation or some combination, you're like, wait, I have to do better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to. So you start to look at your business different. And that's part of the mindset shift, I think, that's in your book. But I also think that there's something else underneath that. And I, I'd like to ask you about whether yeah. this was true for you or not. I think generally there is a lack of accountability and a lack of responsibility for people owning their own result in their life. And so it's not me, it's my pricing was too low. It's not me, it's that my company doesn't have the brand recognition. It's not me, it's my competitors have a lower price. But at some point, you decided that the pricing wasn't why you were losing. And it was the fact that you were not selling in a way that allowed you to create compelling differentiation and actually win. And so you took responsibility for that and said, I have to change what I'm doing to get a different result. So how much of, I'm just sort of leading the witness here as much as I can. Uh, (laughs) How much of this is about really taking ownership for the results you produce. When you're talking about entrepreneurial, it's not like get a side hustle. I mean, I love it when people start their own business because they become much better salespeople because they understand how a P&L works and the reality changes for them because they have a bookkeeper and they have other things and they understand the complexity. But how much of this is really just you have to own the result that you're trying to create? Oh, 100% is that ownership. I had to shift my thinking to say, it's not just external factors. Yeah, the external factors are always going to be there. But when we put our success on the external factors, whether we're successful or not, then we just take away our own... Disempower ourselves. Yeah, yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. We take away, we disempower ourselves. We take away our own capabilities of being able to change the game. And so I think it's 100% ownership. And that's part of the entrepreneurial aspect of modern selling and also the ambassador dimension of modern selling too. We're going to get to that part. I'm going in order, the order of the book. So stay with me. You're jumping ahead. (laughs) (laughs) There's one part of the book where you write that people get upwards of 120 emails a day. And that to me would be not a very active day in my inbox or my five inboxes as the case is. So my experience is that every time I reply to an email, I get two more back. So it is like a treadmill, but every time you take one step, the treadmill goes one step faster. So you continue to run and run. 
you've described this concept as holistic. And when I was reading the beginning, I didn't expect holistic to be what it is. So I expected something different, but share what you mean by holistic and how it helps salespeople produce better results. Yeah. So the idea behind holistic is that we, on a given day, we have these finite resources of time, motivation, energy, discipline. And when we realize that those are finite, that can change the decisions that we make about how we invest those resources. So a modern seller who is holistic recognizes that and the decisions that they make about how to invest those resources on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, have a direct impact on their sales activities that they choose to take on. And when they're choosing the right sales activities and other activities beyond selling, that has direct impact on their results. So that's the idea behind holistic. And it's interesting to me because I think that the modern world that we live in, you know, you have a task manager. So maybe it's Todoist or OmniFocus or things Mm -hmm. or just a list on Google, whatever it is that people keep. But that's not really what you're saying here. And I want to try to make sure people are aware of this. This is a values-based decision. So it's what is most important to do with this finite, non-renewable resource you have called time or energy or something like that. How did that come to your attention that it caused you to put it as part of a framework that has five pieces? This is a big piece. Yeah. What was it that made you do that? Even this conversation here, you and I made a decision to be on the calendar to have this conversation. And so we're choosing to invest our time here where we could have made made other choices, but we chose to invest here because we both agreed that this was a valuable use of our time. So for me, it's, I don't know if there is necessarily a catalyst moment or a defining moment, but making that shift from working at a company like IBM and Lenovo, where your territory is defined for you, your product sets defined for you, a lot of things are defined for you. And then moving into this world of being an entrepreneur and doing more entrepreneurial selling, I realized that kind of the whole world was open and I had an infinite number of choices now on where I could invest those resources. And that started to become the moment where it's like, wow, if I don't make some choices about where to spend these resources, I'm just going to be spinning my wheels. And I've made a lot of bad choices about where to spend my time and trying to boil the ocean, running the business that I have now. So I think it's just a series of every day I'm learning, okay, where am I going to invest my time today? Or where am I going to invest it this week? Or those other resources. Do you have FOMO? Like, I can't miss this opportunity. It's too good. Sometimes, yeah. And then then you look at it and you're like, really in the big scheme of things, this isn't really good for me at all. Yeah, I I hear you. I went through this exercise a couple of weeks ago where I like ideas that scare me. So the more horrifying the idea is, the more I feel like I have to look at it. And I read in one book I was reading where the person, uh, his name's Chris Bailey, he wrote a book called Hyperfocus. He said he had a separate device for social media apps. Hmm. And I'm like, okay. oh, so I was carrying two devices. Well, I had a second device. And then I read it in another book like two weeks later. And then I'm like, ah, I hate that I had to read that twice. Now I have to look at it. Like, what if I took all the social apps off of my phone completely? And what if I took email off? What if I didn't do that on that platform? So I took all of the social apps off and I took email off. And about three days later, I put email back on because I'm traveling. I'm on airplanes. Like I've got to get rid of some of these emails, all the ones that I can just swipe and get rid of. I can't wait until I get back and have 273 emails to look at. So I can't take it. (laughs) I can't. So on the tarmac, I'm like, I got to get rid of these right away. But about three days 
later, I didn't pick up the phone anymore. I mean, during the day, I've always had notifications turned off, but still the allure of like, go look at Twitter for a minute, go look at Facebook, go look at Instagram. And I don't miss it even a tiny, tiny bit. But I think that we get trained into these habits where instead of the device being a tool for us, we're a tool for the device. And what I recognize about your holistic section is it's a values-based decisions that you're asking people to make. And you have to decide if you want something and if it's important to you, then you have to align your resources around what it is you really want. And it's probably not on Twitter. And it's not likely, you know, and there's so many distractions available to people. That focus and clarity is absolutely, I think, one of the most critical parts to producing better results. The other lens of that is if you're a sales leader, you're leading a team of eight or 10 or 12 people. Part of your role as a sales leader is to coach and help make those decisions together because the decisions that your team makes about where to invest those resources impacts you as a sales leader too. So if somebody is listening to this that is leading a team, this is, I think, one of the most important things you could do with your team is to work together to decide where are you going to invest all those resources because that directly impacts the results of the team and the leader. And be a good example. Yeah. Yeah. Show them the way. Yeah. I was prepared not to like the part about being social. I'm like, I don't like it. I don't like the whole social selling thing. I don't like the social media thing. I'm a content marketer. I'm not a social seller. And then I read it and I'm like, oh, okay. So that's what happens when you make assumptions about something. It's not what you think it is. They can't see you laughing like you're laughing right now. (laughs) But I'm prepared for a different chapter than the chapter that I got. And so then the chapter that I got, I'm like, wow. I mean, this is way bigger And it's because of my bias against the word social, only because I've seen it do so much damage. So it's not about social media, not about social selling. It has nothing to do with those. It's much, much bigger than those concepts. And so I want to ask you about what the chapter is really about, which is managing what I would say are the most important resources you have as a salesperson, and that's your relationships and earning the social capital necessary to be able to create the maximum value for that group of people. So share a little bit about that, specifically why this is important for salespeople now, the modern seller. And to your point, I don't think I'd talk about one tool in the book. No, there's There's no tool. No, no, there's no tools in the book. Just in 100% candor, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yes, yes, no. Oh, yes. (laughs) Like, this is great. This is a, a, it's a great framework. It's so good and it's so important. The idea behind this is, as I think, when I think back on my career progression, if you will, one of my biggest defining moments, again, was making the move from the B2B selling world, the traditional B2B selling world that I think of when I think about IBM, and being on my own as an entrepreneur. The light bulb moment for me was I really hadn't done a great job of building the relationships that I thought that I did. I had great relationships internally. I had great relationships with clients. But the realization that hit me was, wow, I need to be getting beyond just my little box, my little world of building relationships. And especially in becoming an entrepreneur, I realized how many people, they just didn't know who I was. And I felt like I was starting from the beginning in building these relationships. So that was probably one of the biggest defining moments for me. But the idea behind social is that 
I define social capital as the collective value that people create when they're in a strategic relationship. And so the idea behind social is that people that really get this, they absolutely 100% believe that the quality of their relationships determines the quality of their selling results. And because they believe that, they make very intentional investments into building relationships. And I think one thing that differentiates them, and I do talk about this in that section, is that they're very intentional about the goals that they're setting for themselves, whether they are sales goals or maybe other personal goals. And then there's a significance to those goals. And then they then use that to kind of fuel and decide the types of relationships that they want to be building. I mean, I have several thousand connections on LinkedIn, but do I have solid relationships with 3,000 people plus on LinkedIn? No, I don't. I have to be intentional and choose who I want to be building relationships with so that I can create the results I want to create, leave the impact that I want to leave. That's a little bit of the catalyst behind social. There's a framework on page 140 where you describe a little chart that you made. And so sometimes, you know, the most interesting things to me are the tools that people create out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And so at some point you had the necessity to figure out how to manage what you were looking at because you created a tool and it's in the book. So I know what happened to you. You're like, this is out of control. I got to start putting some structure around this so I can figure out where I am. And it starts with, is it an internal or an external relationship? Is it operational? Is it personal? Is it strategic? And then you do another values-based decision where you say, what's the relationship strength, which I think is important. I have a framework for this I call level four. Is it strategic? Is it transactional? What is it? Because it gives you some idea. And then where can I add value to them? And what do I need help with? And how is this going to help me with my goal? I think if people did that work, they would realize that they have probably much more available to them in the way of opportunities and value creation for other people. But it's the fact that now it's on a screen like the ones you and I are looking at as we talk to each other right now, and it's not tangible. You know, it's ephemeral. It's just different when it's in a digital form than if you actually were to print something out and write that down Mm -hmm. with your own hand. I think you would say, wait a second, I have a lot more people. And I think you'd also find out there's a sociologist named Robin Dunbar in England, a social scientist. And his primary claim to fame is having studied chimpanzees and figuring out there's a relationship cost to chimpanzees. So I have to go pick nits out of your fur. And so there's like only so much time to chew and chimpanzees only eat plants. So they have to chew five hours a day. And I got to go around and do maintenance on all these relationships. And he found that it's the number of folds in the neocortex that sort of is the limiting factor on how many relationships someone can manage. And it's 150. So it's not your 3,000 or my 21,000 on LinkedIn. And when LinkedIn started, they said, don't accept invitations from people you don't know. At that time, there were 80 people in my network and I knew all of them. Mm -hmm. And now I have 21,000 and I have 80 people in my network and I know those 80 people. I don't know the other 20,000 people. You you, You don't know them, but this is it's a clarifying exercise for people that you're offering them to say who is really in that 150 or whatever number it is for you that you should really be focusing on because it's not everybody. It's a small number of people. Right, right. And in the context that I put around that is, again, thinking about and to put it in a sales context, what's your most significant sales goal beyond accomplishing your quota, exceeding your quota? What's your most significant sales goal that you want to be accomplishing this year or in the next one to two years? And that can be for anybody who's sitting there saying, all right, where do I start with this? That can be a place to start. Look at that goal, 
What's the significance of that goal? And then you can start to look at your networks and start to do that exercise that you just described and at least start to put something tangible down that's tied to a goal. And then you'll see that you'll just, you can start to do this for any goal or really for any personal or professional. Well, you've got that in there. I mean, it says personal, Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, you can look because all of that stuff matters. Yeah. So I've described some of the best salespeople I've known as being combative diplomats. So they're diplomatic, but they are going to argue to do the right thing. So in part of being a trusted advisor, you know, really, if you want to be a trusted advisor, it's telling people that their baby's ugly. And so you hope that you're diplomatic, you know, because you're going to need to be a little bit diplomatic when you tell somebody their idea is not going to work. You have a, I'm going to call it a similar idea, if less provocative than the way that I just described it, about an ambassador. What does an ambassador need to do under this framework of the modern seller? This is the one that in conversations, in my interviews, in my research, this is the one that really captured people's attention the most in my conversations. And the idea behind an ambassador, if we think about an ambassador in a global sense, an ambassador is a bridge. They are a bridge between countries and cultures. And in a sales sense, an ambassador functions as a bridge as well. They are a bridge internally. They are a bridge externally prospects, clients out into the community. And I think what makes an ambassador really stand out is an ambassador has the ability to take the kernel of a win and a prospect that has become a new client. They deliver so well on this that it then becomes a springboard to stronger loyalty and more lifetime value. And through that process, the ambassador, so to your idea of what was it, the combative (laughs) diplomat? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The combative diplomat is that in that process of becoming an ambassador, you earn that right to be that trusted advisor, that combative diplomat. And there are going to be times where you do have to deliver those messages in the best interest of clients and in prospects, I would argue. That is part of what is a differentiator in a modern seller is the ability to look at things differently and to share other ideas. And like you said, to guide and help a prospect or client navigate in the direction that is going to get them the best results. Even if sometimes to your point, you're diplomatically calling somebody's baby ugly. Diplomatically as you can anyway, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. There's a responsibility when you say something like ambassador that, you know, I'm sending you out into the world to make things happen. And you're going out and you're developing these relationships and you're sharing opportunities and creating those opportunities. I think it's a really, really, it's an interesting concept for people to think about because when you use a word like that, or like I use diplomat in the same sort of way, it's like, okay, so then how does my role change? You know, and the role changes and I've described some of the concepts that you have in the book under it's leadership, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in a way it's leadership. And so I need to help you lead your team and I need to lead my team so that we can produce these results. And then when we do that, that success allows us to move on to the next success that we can have together because we figured out how to work, you know, together as a team, my client and my team to be able to generate those results. And ambassador is a good word for that. And there are some, I walk through what I see as some of the attributes of an ambassador, similar to entrepreneurial, an ambassador is an owner. They are an owner. They're also a unifier and they are someone who is really looking at, they're kind of critical at looking at their client sets and really assessing 
what's the lifetime value for, and that value goes both ways. What's the value that I can create for the long-term for this prospect or client? What can they create for me? And what are the things that we can be doing together that accelerates both of our businesses? Very cool. So the book is called The Modern Seller. I'm holding it up. I don't know if we'll ever put this out on video or not. You look great. I'm wearing like a sweat suit right now. Uh, You're really really kind. It's well, it was nine o'clock on a Saturday morning when we recorded this. Exactly. And Saturday morning for me is usually 595 emails that I have to get through organizing and then two more podcasts. Where do people go to get the book? So if you go out two places, amyfranco.com and then also on Amazon. Okay, excellent. It's a great book. It's a great mindset shift. And we'll send people to both of those places. And if they go to amyfranco.com, they can follow you on all the social sites there and pretend that you know each other on LinkedIn. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks, Amy. (laughs) Thank you. That was Amy Franco. You can find her at amyfranco.com. That is A-M-Y-F-R-A-N-K-O.com. You'll also find a link to her in the show notes here. You're also going to find a link in the show notes to her new book, The Modern Seller. And if you go out to her website, you can download a sample chapter, but you don't need to do that. You can just go directly to Amazon to buy it. It's The Modern Seller. Sell more and increase your impact in the new sales economy. So go pick that up. And when you say hi to Amy, tell her you found her here and in the arena. I'm Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com where I publish daily. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino and on LinkedIn and Twitter and other fine social sites. My new book, Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition, was released on November 6th. And you can pick that up at amazon.com, at Barnes & Noble, at the stores or online. And if you're going to buy it in bulk for your team, you want to go out to 800 CEO Read. They are the finest people in the book business. They do the very best job and you're going to get the very best pricing on a bulk buy. I'm Anthony Anarino and I'll see you next time back here in the arena. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.